Out under the mango tree, some of the greatest conversations happen in South Sudan. We normally sit in a circle, the church leaders and me, and it's often uh, blazing hot as we're out there under the trees. I get a little worried every March when the mangoes start to fall, but the rest of the year, it's a pretty uh, great spot for us to sit. As we gather together, the conversations will range through the spectrum of what the local uh, soccer teams are experiencing to how the crops are doing to what's going on in the local church. And we take so much time to go through the scriptures together in our discipleship time. And even as I'm supposed to be discipling them, I often think that they have far more of an impact on me. Recently, as many as you know, uh, in the past uh, year or so, they've begun to go out as missionaries uh, to other parts of South Sudan, and it's been an incredible privilege and unbelievable honor uh, to be with them as they have landed in place after place and, and begun to pour into others in other tribes, including some places where some of the tribes have no known followers of Jesus. Sitting out there under the mango tree, I've been with them as they have been gearing up uh, to go and asking questions of me, like, what do we do when we get there, and, and how does it work for us? to be missionaries and what does this even look like and the questions have been many and varied and an unbelievably unbelievable thrill and many of which I have had no good answer except to point back to the scriptures and encourage them as we're all dependent on the Holy Spirit but one of the big questions has been Peter what is it going to happen what is it going to look like when we get there what are we going to eat and where are we going to stay and how are we going to survive for the days when we're there. And that's been particularly applicable in a place where there are so few followers of Jesus and no vibrant church to be able to take care of the missionaries. And so we went to the scriptures and we went to Acts 13 and we talked about what it was like for Paul and Barnabas when they were sent out as missionaries. And even as Hope Church has been on this series through normal Christianity, that is just a part of life for us there with the church leaders as we are considering what it looks like for them to go out as missionaries just as Paul and Barnabas and others did so many years ago. And we talked together about how the church had sent them out in Acts 13 and how you all have sent Shauna and me out and what it would look like for the church in Involo to be the church that sends them out. Maybe we load the plane with grain. Maybe we load the plane with peanuts. Maybe we load the plane with cassava or whatever else can come from the garden. Or maybe it's an offering that gets taken up in the local churches. And one of the most beautiful offerings I have ever seen is when Ty Camp and Robert Hans and Adam Lotz and I were sitting there in a church service a couple months back when they began to take a collection of anyone who wanted to contribute to provide for these local indigenous missionaries as they were going out. The women came forward, the men came forward, the kids came forward. And they dropped whatever they had their hands into that local woven basket as down in the front, and that basket just began to fill up. And people gave whatever they could. Maybe it was pennies, maybe it was a dollar or two, whatever they had to give. And God saw the heart of each one of them. Because God, as he does, doesn't care a lick whether we give a thousand or ten thousand dollars or 
If we give 50 cents, all he cares about is our heart. I think God has probably looked at many $10,000 gifts and thought another zero should be added on there. And he's probably looked at many $10 gifts and noticed the incredible sacrifice it took to offer those gifts. And the heart of God penetrates to our own heart. And on that day, he saw the hearts of that South Sudanese church. And I think perhaps it was the most beautiful offering I've ever seen. I was fighting back the tears as I watched all the people come together just to provide for their missionaries as for the first time the church was sending out people to go and to proclaim the greatest news of all time. If we want to tell something about your heart or mine in relation to Jesus and how we follow him, we don't have to go much further than how we handle money. Someone could look at the way that we steward the resources that God has given us and where we send our money and how we spend our money, and how joyfully or begrudgingly we give that money and could tell a whole lot about us. Many have pointed out that Jesus spoke a lot about money uh, throughout the Scriptures, and we at Hope Church have been profoundly blessed with Randy Schrader and Ryan Anderson and so many who know so much about what it looks like for us to be good stewards of the finances that God has given us. Well, for the past months through the summer, we've been considering normal Christianity, our third go-around through a series that means a lot to us here at Hope Church, as we long to be a reflection of biblical Christianity. We want to be able to open the Scriptures, and we want to try to mirror what we find in the Scriptures. We want to make excuses for what life is like in Houston, Texas in 2021. We want to be authentic in our reflection of what biblical Christianity is all about. And week by week, we have considered various topics. Last week it was on suffering. If we are to be normal Christians in the sense of trying to be a reflection of that early church, that biblical Christianity, what would it look like in suffering? What would it look like in spiritual gifts? What would it look like in signs and wonders? What would it look like in our evangelism? What would it look like in our prayer? And this week, what would it look like in our generosity? I hope that What we see in the scriptures today will be impactful for all of our hope adults who are here, but also for all the kids. We're so happy that you all are with us in the service today. Let's pick up um, the passage again in Acts chapter 4, where Jake was reading for us earlier, starting in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. That is a radical verse in Scripture. They all shared what they had, the believers did. But they didn't do it out of some sense of obligation. Even if you were to jump ahead to Acts chapter 5 and the story of Ananias and Sapphira, you'd see that they were not doing what they had to do. It was purely voluntary. We get that reflection through Acts 2 and through the early chapters of Acts that the church was invited into a journey of sharing their resources so they could provide for one another. This was not sort of some sort of socialism or some sort of communism. This was simply the beauty of biblical Christianity. So here... Luke, the writer of Acts, is pointing out that in this early church, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. In other words, they didn't own that. And that right there is a beautiful picture 
of what it means to follow Jesus. The Bible tells us that God sent Jesus into this broken, messed up world to live a perfect life. The only one he ever had. He died on a cross, absorbing the, the wrath of God against our sin. And he rose from the dead on the third day, proving that he was victorious over sin, over Satan, and over death. So that if we believe in him, if we trust in him, if we repent of our sins and put them on him, and if we follow him, we will be saved. Saved from our sin and saved from an eternity removed from God. And we will be brought together with God to be with him now and forever in heaven. It's the most radical story that this world has ever known of a God who loves us enough not only to create us but to pursue us and to save us and to bring us to himself, but the key lies in our surrender. As God is drawing us to himself, we walk in utter surrender to him. So our family is no longer our family. Our money is no longer our money. Our time is no longer our time. Our clothes are no longer ours. Our home is no longer ours. Our cars are no longer ours. And our jobs are no longer ours. Everything that we have, everything that we are, our identity, our reputation, our hopes, our dreams, our visions, all of those are laid before the feet of Jesus as we surrender everything to him. The most Holy Spirit-filled people I have ever seen are also the most surrendered. And the challenge for so many of us is that we live in a culture in America that is telling us to own our lives, to claim our lives, to frame the way that other people see us. Get on social media, make yourself look however you want to look. When you're telling the story, only tell the good stuff, but hide the bad. And try to frame the narrative around your life so people just see what you want them to see. And then, and then control things. Don't let anybody get into your space. If they do, just sue them. I mean, that's what we do anyway. And make sure that you eventually get what you want. It's, it's your life anyway. It's your life. You go get that job you want. You get that house you want. You get that car you want. Go spend a little something, something on yourself. And so life becomes, in America, in our culture, if we take it to the extreme, all about customizing our existence to our preference, even to the degree of how other people perceive us. The Bible is totally different. It's this radical story of how Jesus came and died the worst death that he could die. There was nothing worse in the Roman Empire than to die on a cross where you're whipped, you're scourged, you're bleeding, and everything is taken away from you. That's how Jesus died. And he called us in that death to surrender everything that we have to him so that we don't own it anymore. It's not ours anymore. Luke chapter 9 is this radical statement that if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it first. You've got to lose everything. And that's what salvation is all about. But you and I, if we're not careful, we are these followers of Jesus who get sucked into this culture. And once again, we can be more defined by the culture than by Scripture itself. And so tonight, as we're considering this idea of what is normal Christianity, which really is just what is biblical Christianity, if we want to reflect the scriptures. This powerful truth here applies not only to money, but also to the way that you and I are living life. Acts 4.32, now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. No one claimed anything. So my house is not my house anymore, and neither is yours Yours. 
Nothing that I have is mine and nothing that you have is yours and we're willing to share everything and consider ourselves common with everything that we have because it's not ours anyway. Now, I wish that we had hours, weeks, months to be able to camp out on this and come together and confess and repent and pray and beg God to help us to push against our culture and be really entirely faithful to the scriptures in this because it would have a radical impact on how we follow Jesus and on how we love one another and on how we impact those around us. If you and I are deeply, truly hungry for Jesus, this principle of the money that everything is in common is also One of the most essential principles to experiencing the fullness of all that the Holy Spirit has for us. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. I think the reason that the power was on them was because they were surrendered. It was in that surrender that the Holy Spirit infused them with his power. And I love verse 33 because it wasn't about the apostles at all. Radical things were happening. So many people were coming to faith in Jesus. Miracles were breaking out as we can see in adjoining verses. But what you experience in verse 33 indicates that it's not about the apostles at all. It's just the great power of the Holy Spirit on the apostles. And as they were speaking and testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, there is great grace upon them all. In that surrender lies that filling of the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold And laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Verse 34 is radical to me when we are considering what's going on in our world. There was not a needy person among them. You think about what you experience even driving through Houston. You're going to see the the fancy housing and the housing that's not as fancy. You're going to see the fancy cars and the cars that aren't as fancy. You're going to see uh, some parts of town that are one way, other parts of town uh, that are another way. You're going to drive past some who are homeless. And you're going to experience in our world uh, so much need that exists. But within the church, it should be different. Think about how radical this would have been for the first century people when they were around the followers of Jesus. And they said, who are these people? Look at how they live. They don't own anything. They give whatever they have to one another. And look at the way that they care for one another. There's not even a needy person among them because of how they love one another and and care for one another. I can hardly think of a more beautiful witness to the church and ultimately to Jesus, then you think about the way that they're caring for each other. Jesus said in the scriptures that we will know his followers, his disciples, by their love. There's something about the way that we will love one another and care for one another that should set us apart. In South Sudan, we see, Shauna and I do, so many parts of that culture that are more biblical than the American culture is, and so many parts of the American culture that are more biblical 
than the South Sudanese culture, and it's always that way. You can travel around the world to any culture, and you will find elements of it that more naturally line up with the scriptures and other elements that are further away. And one of the beauty and, uh, beauties and, and privileges of getting to travel and taste of so many different cultures is that you can find uh, more inherent reflections of the scriptures in various places as you go. And you can say, oh, that's what that's supposed to look like. And I see that right here in South Sudan. It is unbelievable the way that our South Sudanese brothers and sisters will share with one another the things that they have. They will freely give their money. They would freely give of their food. They would freely give of their clothes or whatever they have. They give without ever expecting it back. They give with joy. It's just an expectation. It's part of the culture. Even those who are not in the church, it's still a part of their culture, much less those who are followers of Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I have been served sorghum and peanuts and cassava and greens and however many other things in however many homes all over the Mvolo area. And just because I happen to be there either at mealtime or close enough to mealtime where they invited me to stay and just be a part of eating together with them. It is a culture where everything is shared together. When I'm out with the South Sudanese missionaries and we're spending the night in some distant place, we just share Whatever we have, if we have, um, if, if somebody has a towel and nobody else does, you just share it. If you have something else, you just share it. If only one person brought flip-flops, you just share it. Whatever you have, you can just share, share it all together. Because it's a culture in which no one considers what they have to be their own. But everything we have, we just share together with one another. And there's a beautiful picture in there of the love of God and the grace of God, and an encouragement to us in America that however far this may seem to be away from our culture here, it's possible for us to walk in it as we press into it for the glory of the Lord. We see that they were submitting all of it to the apostles. In our case, maybe at a practical level of the local church, it would be the elders who are helping uh, to share together with one another uh, throughout the church. And then 36, thus Joseph who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is our introduction to Barnabas, who would become a really key figure in Paul's journey. If we were to continue through the book of Acts, and we see the example that he had here where he sold the field and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I can tell you that uh, when Hope Church started almost 10 years ago, one of the things that was deep in my heart was this longing to, to grow myself personally, much less the church, myself, to grow in biblical Christianity. And, and to really be able to see some of these things lived out that just seemed so countercultural to my own culture, to the American culture. And I remember the day when... My phone rang, and it was a brother on the other end, and he began to talk, and he began to tell me how he had been in prayer and spending time with God, and had suddenly felt very touched to give his car away, and he said, so Peter, I'm just, I'm just calling you to tell you that I feel like God wants me to give you my car, 
And I was blown away. I mean, this is one of the things that we have been praying for and longing for, that God would help us to reflect the scriptures. And here is someone who's sharing their car in the line of selling your your land or selling your home and taking the proceeds and giving it to others throughout the Christian community as they would have done 2,000 years ago. Here's a brother who's taking his car and he's just giving it to us. And I was so fired up in that moment, not only for the car, that was an incredible blessing, but I was, I was fired up about the reality that, that here the scriptures were giving lived out to that degree and to that point. And this journey together as a church has been an incredible one for me. You all have profoundly shaped my understanding of what it can look like to follow Jesus. I understood it biblically and theologically, but to see it actually lived out in such a palpable way has been one of the most beautiful things to me. And when we want to talk about finances, watching the way that you all give has been profound to me. I remember sitting in a discipleship conversation early on, and we were talking about giving, and, and how much do you tithe, or, or how much do you give, not only to the church, but also to others. And we were talking about the, the principle, I think, that the New Testament nowhere says we have to give 10%. We see that in places in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, that's, that's not a law or requirement. We are to give as the Holy Spirit leads us to give. Whatever that is. And I remember sitting there with, with uh, these brothers we were sharing together. And, and we had intentionally gone into this as a, as a time to, to share freely. And, and, and to be able to speak into one another's life. Whether encouragement or counsel or, or direction in, in our finances. And it was, it was powerful and it was not easy. To sit there and to, to share all of our finances together. But then the weight of it, to hear brothers affirm one another and, and speak into one another. And some of you have done this as couples. Some of you have done this in different ways. And it, I, I think it's incredible. I remember sitting there and listening to brothers talk about what percentage of their income they felt led to give. And Hope family, I want to tell you, those were numbers I had never heard before. It, it was beyond what... what I had felt was, was commonplace. It, it was much more reflective what I would think might be normal Christianity. There was, there was something about listening to brothers say, well, my wife and I prayed, and we went before the Lord, and this is just what we felt like He led us to give. I want to encourage us as a church never to become complacent, not to slip back into this fear-based ideology that says, well, I'm only going to give what I feel like I can give without jeopardizing myself. You know what I mean? There's some wisdom in there. We certainly are to apply wisdom to the way that we, we give our money. But at the same time, let's walk in faith and sensitivity to the Spirit and trust in what God is going to call us to do. You may right now be sitting on kingdom resources that God has entrusted you to give to somebody else. And it's going to touch their life right here in Houston or on the other side of the world. But he gave it to you because you're supposed to be a part of that ministry. 
And every time you give that money, you are tangibly touching a kingdom advancement that God wants you to be a part of. And maybe it's your next door neighbor, or maybe it's somebody on the other side of the world. But if you and I are fear-based in the way that we approach this, if we swing away from the scriptures on this, then we may hoard something that God has intended to be given and that kingdom advancement may be restricted. I hope that we as a church can continue to lean in on this Acts 4 idea of we don't own it. It's all the Lord's. Our prayer is not, Lord, what is the max you're going to make me give? But the Lord, how much will you let me give? God, just speak to me. Speak to my wife. Speak to my kids. And just, just guide us. We want to give as much as we can. Last year we gave this amount. Can we give more this year? Can we lean in more? Is there something you want us to give up so we can give even more? Just that baseline question for Shauna, Allison, Timothy, Titus, and Peter Swan has been an extremely significant one in our own financial journey. God, how much will you let us give? Sometimes not an easy question to ask. But coming before the Lord, God, how much will you let us give? Let us give as much as possible. It's your money. And the more we're giving away, the more we're reminded that we don't own it in the first place. The more we're sitting on it, the more we struggle with thinking that we should control what we have because it's somehow ours in the beginning. This passage, I think, is such a beautiful one because it reminds us that when it comes to our finances, God wants to care for those who have need. That's the point of verse 35. It's distributed to those who have need. But how did that happen? Well, if you back up to 31, it's because no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Sometimes we look at the church and we say, there are needs here. The church should be meeting the needs. Absolutely right, but that's going to happen through us. And how does it happen? It happens in that beautiful surrender. Those moments where we come before God and we say, God... You're the one who gave all this to us. We don't own it anyway. So will you just take us and do whatever it is that you want us to do with it? This past Wednesday, I had a, a, a flight that I had to do, an airplane flight. Every pilot has to uh, pass a, um, a flight review every two years just to keep their license active. I was uh, taxing the plane. Uh, that I was supposed to fly, and there was an issue with brakes. It ran off, um, and uh, so I just let it uh, go into the grass and turned it off. After things were fixed, I had to get it out of the grass, and I was shoving back and forth on this big old beast of a plane, and I couldn't get it to move. I tried, and I tried. I was doing everything that I could, and I finally reached this utter point of desperation and just began to pray. I said, God, I just, I just badly need your help. Can you please just send somebody to help me? And I looked up from where I'd been pushing on the plane. I, I looked up in my state of despair, and two guys were there on a golf cart. And they were coming right towards me, and I thought, God, you're incredible. It's absolutely impeccable timing how did you do that the guys came around the front of the plane I expected them to jump out and just help me push the plane out of the grass but instead they said oh actually we, we got a tow bar and they connect to the tow bar and they just pulled the plane out of the grass I thought, this is getting even better and then one of the guys said hey where are you going I'm just just hop in I'll give you a ride and so I hopped in 
And、uh, he just started giving me a ride. I thought, this is getting even better. As I got in the plane, I felt led of God, or got in the golf cart with him, I felt led of God to tell him that I was a missionary bush pilot flying missionaries around in South Sudan. And so I told him, he said, actually, you know, there's another missionary pilot I'm good friends with、um, on that side. I went to high school with him in Papua New Guinea. And I said, Well, who is it? And he told me, and I know the guy. And so God took this moment of everything going sideways and just began to work a whole series of God things to get me to where it was the greatest moment of just filling my heart with awe at who he is. And I know when we talk about money, when we talk about finances, and we talk about giving, And some of us are in spots where we're strained financially. And we're looking at this and we're saying, Peter, we, we want to give. And we, we would love to be even more fully a part of what God is going to do. And I just want to encourage you, if you're here today, just to pray that prayer of surrender. Just come before God and. Whatever spot you're dealing with, maybe you've got the finances but you don't know what to do. Maybe you've got the finances but you're scared to spend it. Or maybe you don't yet have the finances but you want God to give it to you so that you can be a blessing to more people. I want to encourage you that moment on Wednesday when I hit that surrendered point, that's when God's miracle started flowing. And in a moment, as we move into our time of prayer, I want to encourage you in the stillness and quietness of your own heart just to lay everything before the Lord your finances, your past, your future, everything that He has, so that His Spirit can do His work in all of us for His glory. Let me ask you to stand. Let me ask the music team and the prayer team to come. It's such an incredible joy for us this time of our service. As I'm going to pray, and then after that, our prayer team will be up front. We just want to invite you to come. Maybe you're going through this, this time tonight in Acts 4, and, and you'd say, Hey, Peter, I'm just wrestling with this. There is, there is something about surrender that I'm struggling. I, I'd like to be able to surrender, but. You don't understand this financial situation I'm dealing with, or, or this thing with my kids, or this thing's going on with my job. And whatever it is, we're here tonight. We'd be honored to get to pray with you and to get to talk with you and, and ask for the work of God in your life. And it could be that even in your own seat, as we move into this time of prayer and singing, that you'll just allow the Spirit of God to touch you. Maybe even just remain seated and just spend that time surrendering everything before Him. I think one of the greatest keys, not only in salvation, but also as we continue to follow Jesus, is waking up every day and say, Jesus, I'm not mine today, I'm yours. Just do whatever you want in me for your glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the incredible privilege and unspeakable joy of being together as a Hope family tonight. Of opening up the scriptures and just saying, God, whatever is in here, that's what we want to look like. We ask that you would do your work in us to help us to reflect biblical Christianity. We don't even want to think of it as something spectacular or, or distant, but it's just normal. It's just what you're calling us to, it's just what you want us to walk in, and we are hungry for it. Father, I pray as we think about. Our finances, and we think about being faithful in our generosity, that, that we would be those who would not consider that what we have is our own, but it's yours. And not only with our finances, but with everything in our life. God, I pray with my whole heart for my sisters and my brothers here tonight who are holding on to something in their life. 
Maybe it's their kids. Maybe it's their money. Maybe it's their time. Maybe it's their dreams. And they're holding on to it. And they're struggling just to surrender and lay it before you. And God, sometimes we just can't do that on our own strength. We, we just don't have the will to make ourselves surrender. We need you to do it. And so we ask that right now, in this moment, you just sweep across this place. You would touch us one by one. Father, I pray for that brother who's wrestling right now that you will touch him and bring that breakthrough of surrender. I pray for that sister who has long held on to that area that she couldn't let go, that you would touch her right now and she would. Father, I pray that you would move in this place as we pray, as we sing for your glory. In Jesus.